Hi. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome here this morning from me uh, again. And um, like Avery was saying, man, aren't you excited about the weather? I was barbecuing on my deck last night in t-shirts and sandals, and I was thinking, any day I'm doing this in January is a good day. It was awesome. And I just, I just dig that. I think that uh, uh, one day, one day, when we're out from underneath the fall, we're going to be doing that all the time, not having to worry about snow. We'll travel if we want to see snow. But anyways, hey, we're in... Uh, our second week of our series on potential. And we're launching the year this year trying to pump you up um, as we go into 2022. And so we're looking at the whole uh, potential of the Holy Spirit, that it's unfathomable, that it's unfeathered, and that it's uninhibited. And as we embrace those things in our lives, as we come to recognize those things, then we will allow God to use us, the Holy Spirit, to guide and direct us, to teach us, grow us, mature us in our faith, and that we'll be able to grow also in our testimony as we reach out into the world around us. So last week we tried to give you a little bit better glimpse of the unfathomable potential that we have in the Holy Spirit. This week we're going to look at the fact that the Holy Spirit is unfettered by our past, which is to say that he's undeterred by what we've done previously in our lives. And so before we dive in this morning, because we've got a lot lot of ground to cover and a bunch of scripture that we're going to go through, let's just pray quickly and then we'll, we'll dive in and take a look at this. So if you would, pray with me. Father, today, as we come to you and as we dive into this subject, as we look at the fact that by your Holy Spirit, we are unfettered. Uh, going forward in our ability to follow you and to be used by you, that he's unfettered by our past and that we can experience the potential that you have for us through him as we lean into you in this way. And so, Father, we commit this time to you. We ask that you would bless it. We ask that you would teach us, that you would help us to learn and understand and grow so that we would be more like your son, Jesus. And we ask this all now in his name. Amen. All right. So as it comes to the Holy Spirit then, one of the next big obstacles that we have beyond the fact that we have trouble wrapping our mind around the fact that God himself lives within us by his spirit, one of the next challenges that we have, the next hurdles that we put up is that we think that somehow our past prevents the Holy Spirit from using us moving forward. That there's something in our past that somehow disqualifies us from being used by the Holy Spirit for what God has for us. Now, we make that decision or we arrive at that by um, looking at the mistakes that we've made in our past that somehow, you know, we look back and see all the challenges, the things that we've done wrong, and we think that that somehow disqualifies us. Or 
we look at our past and we think that it, we, our past lacks something, that we lack something because we haven't been able to accomplish that somehow in our past. And that either way, these things prevent us from following him as he calls us, as the Holy Spirit comes alongside us and prompts us to be doing things for God that somehow, either by the mistakes we've made or because we're not qualified, that now we're prevented, that we're fettered from following God. In the first instance, what we do is we look back and we see specifically the things that we've done poorly, that, that where we've failed, the mistakes that we've made, where we have made some significant things wrong, done some significant things wrong. We've made some significant messes in our lives. And we look at those things, and as we consider them so significant, then we decide that somehow then that disqualifies me now from being used by God. That because of these mistakes, because of all the this, all this stuff that I've done, that somehow now God can't use me. That, that I'm not able to be used by Him. So, we look at the bad choices. In the other instance, if you will, we look at the whole idea that what we've done in the past, or what we haven't done in the past, doesn't provide us with the opportunities, with the qualifications to move forward. That we haven't done enough in the past to move forward with God. And as we look at Scripture, we see that both instances are wrong. That both respects are incorrect. In the first instance, as we look at the problems of our past and then go to Scripture, we'll see that God has used people that have made colossal mistakes in their lives and moved them forward, and that He's used them for His purposes. For example, Rahab the prostitute, God used significantly. The woman at the well, God used significantly to bring her whole town to Him. Samson made a colossal blunder, but God again restored him and used him again. Jonah, the list goes on. People that have made mistakes. David, people that have made mistakes, huge errors, done things that, are, that they were ashamed of. But God chose to look over those, look past that, and use them. On the other side of the coin, as we look to Scripture and we see a bunch of people that have been used by God despite the fact that they weren't qualified, we know that that isn't a factor either. We can look at people like Jeremiah, who said to God, I'm not qualified for this. God said, no, I'm going to use you. Look at Scripture and we see people like Moses. Bruce talked about this just before Christmas. Moses had this argument with God. I'm not qualified. I don't have the capability to do this. I haven't got the training. I don't have the expertise. God said, no, I'm going to use you. Gideon, the list goes on again. So as we look at both sides of this problem, we see that in Scripture, there is no grounds to hold that position. There's no rationale or reason to think that because of what I've done in my past bad, that God can't use me, or because of what I haven't done in my past, that I'm not qualified for God to use me. But this morning, I want to 
look at maybe what is the best example of someone that God used despite their past. The best example that we have to understand, to know and understand that our past doesn't fetter the Holy Spirit from using us. In other words, then, that the Holy Spirit is unfettered in his ability to use you and I today. So we're going to look at the self-admitted chief of all sinners, Saul turned the Apostle Paul, who God used significantly despite his past. And, and we know that Saul had a past, didn't we? There's no doubt about it. Saul had a past when it came to this whole idea of following God and allowing Him to use us moving forward. When it comes to someone that you and I would think should have been disqualified for God to use, that should have disqualified themselves from being used by God, Paul would have to rank right up there at the top. We're first introduced to Paul at the stoning of Stephen. That's one of the first introductions to him, at least anyway, I guess depending on where you pick up your Bible to read. At the stoning of Stephen, at the martyrdom of Stephen, which takes place in Acts 7 and 8. So I'm going to read starting there, starting in chapter 7 and right through into the beginning of chapter 8. And we're going to pick it up right as Stephen is sort of making his plea, if you will, not even a plea, just making a statement um, that leads to his demise. So he addresses the religious leaders, and Stephen starts to say, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. That is to say Jesus. You have received the law that was given through the angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul who would later become Paul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, which is to say he died. Chapter 8, and Paul and Saul, Paul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. 
But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So here we see that Paul was not just even indifferent to Jesus Christ. He was hostile toward him. Hostile. And that took the form of him pursuing and persecuting anyone that followed the way, that followed Christ. Paul's aim, his objective, was to find those people, imprison them, and from there, for most of them, to be then martyred, to be killed. Very likely, they would have been put to death. But the point here this morning is that Paul's past does not deter God. Even though he made it his objective, his purpose was to persecute Jesus, was to punish his followers, God looked past his past and decided to use him. He was undeterred by Paul's history. We see that now as we skip ahead to Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 15. So the rest of Acts 8 starts to outline some stuff. Bruce is actually going to come back to this next week. Talks about some other things that are going on. But then Acts 9 picks up again with the conversion of Paul. So we begin there. Verse 1, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, again, that is Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he had opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Paul has a literal come-to-Jesus moment on the road to Damascus. As he's actually going and still in the process of persecuting Christians, his purpose again to go and root them out, find them, imprison them, have them put to death, God intervenes in his life. And Paul comes to know the Lord. 
personally here. But we don't want to stop right here. We want to push forward a little bit further because we're going to find something very significant shortly. So let's continue on beyond this just a little bit. Verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. Whoa, there's a good way to answer when God calls. Yes, Lord. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. So indubitably here, we see that Paul's past was not a factor in God's mind, in God choosing to use him. And neither is yours or my past a factor for God as he chooses to call you and I and use you and I today. We need to get that through our heads. That our past is not a factor in God's decision to use you and me today. It doesn't factor into the equation. But we are remiss this morning, I think, if we choose to just leave it at this. To just walk away and say, okay, my past is not a factor with God. That does not deter God. That's a fact for us today, but it helps us to understand why that is the case. And so we need to keep moving ahead here. We need to to go further to understand that so that we can then stand on that, if you will, going forward. That it's not just a fact, but that we have, so that we have a rationale and a reason for why that is the case. So to that end, don't miss what God told Ananias. He says, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. We need to understand this morning that it is God's plan. It was God's plan to use Saul, to use Paul. The past isn't an issue. God's plan is the issue. This morning. God is working every day according to his plan. Not our past. Not our past. It's not 
that God looks down at us, sees the state of our world, sees the situation, our circumstances, and our surroundings, where things are at in our society, in our personal lives, in our world's singular, personal, or corporate, and then is coming up with some ideas. Oh, how am I going to navigate this? He's not, that's not the case. Nor is he looking at you and I today with some sort of a plan in mind and thinking, well, now, how am I going to cobble this together? How am I going to figure this out? Who, who, who am I going to be able to find to, to use here? Well, let's look at Doug. Did he, has he done anything wrong in his past? Oh, yeah, he has. Well, he's disqualified. Or, or let's look at Benton. Is he, has, he, has he got enough training? Oh, no, yeah, he doesn't have enough training. That's not, that's not how God's operating today. God has a plan. It's a very specific plan. It started before time began. And it includes you and I today. It included us before time began as well. When he came up with this plan, he didn't just come up with the plan, he also came up with the people that he's going to use to fulfill his plan. So as he looks at us today, he's not looking at our situation and our circumstances, he's not looking at you and I and our past to determine how he's going to navigate going forward. He's got that all figured out, and our past is irrelevant. What is pertinent is that he has a plan. And we need to understand that. We need to know that. Now, I want to drive this point home a little bit further because I don't think that we get this through our heads very often because so often we get bogged down in this whole thing. So I want to, I want to try and drive this home, if you will. But this morning, I'm going to use a different piece of Scripture to try and demonstrate this for us. To, 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 to push it deep into our understanding, I hope, I trust. And I'm going to use a different piece of Scripture from a totally different context. Okay, so I know what I'm, I recognize what's going on here. I want you to know that I recognize what's going on here. But you need to understand that even though we're going to look at something in a different context, the principle still applies. It's going to demonstrate exactly what we're talking about here. So stick with me. And it's a, a little bit of a tricky passage, if you will, even on top of it. So, so follow close. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 9, verses 26 to 29. And we're not going to go through this whole section. I'm going to try and condense it. I'll try and explain it for us just to, to keep it a little bit tighter this morning. Paul here is addressing an issue where some felt that God only allowed as his children those who were Jew, born Jewish, whose ethnicity was Jewish. So they held that to be a child of God, you had to be Jewish. That arbitrarily meant, obviously, that all Jewish people were automatically children of God, and therefore, that anybody that wasn't Jewish couldn't be a child of God. So in this passage, Paul is arguing that, arguing that our spiritual standing with God is not based on ethnicity. Okay? 
that we are not automatically children of God if we're Jewish, but moreover, that some that aren't Jewish are actually children of God anyway. So not all Jews are in the family of God, and some Gentiles are in the family of God. And it depends on God's calling, on God's plan. Okay, now this led some of this group to question the integrity of God's word, if you will. And they were trying to argue that, well, then God has lied in the past to us. And we don't have time. Actually, this is a, it's a fascinating piece of scripture. And I'd encourage you, go home and, and read it and dig into it. And someday maybe we'll have a chance to to dive into it, because it's, it's, it's fascinating. We, just, we get so much of an insight into who God is and how he operates in this passage. But Paul here begins at verse 6 to defend the integrity of God's word and also his position, that our spiritual position depends on God's call, not our birthright. Okay? And he does so by using two examples. The first being Isaac and Ishmael, and the second being the twins, Jacob and Esau. Okay? And in verses 6 to 9, he first presents his argument with Isaac and Ishmael, and then in verses 10 to 12, he furthers the argument with the example of Jacob and Esau. And that's where I want to look specifically. So let's look at Romans 9, verses 10 to 12 now. Okay? So, not only that, it starts off, so not only his first argument concerning Isaac and Ishmael, but now he carries on. But Rebekah's children that were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. But Rebekah's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac, which is fascinating. I wish we could go into that this morning. But anyways, yet before the twins were born, that is before Jacob and Esau were born or had done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by, his, but not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the younger, the old, sorry, the older will serve the younger. Okay, now let's look specifically at verses 11 and 12. We'll condense it down just a little bit more. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, so before Jacob and Esau were born and could do anything, either good or bad, before that could even happen, in order then, in order then that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, not that it would stand by works, by the works of Jacob or Esau, but by him who calls, in order then, that God's purpose would stand according to who? Him who calls. Which is to say that God's purpose would stand because of him, not Jacob or Esau. So in order that that would happen, God appears and says, the older is going to serve the younger. He predicts what is going to happen in, in the future. So that it's very clear 
what's going on here. That it isn't anything on Jacob's part or Esau's part, but that it's all according to God and his plan. Okay? In the context, Paul makes the point here that it is by God's calling, according to his purpose, that we are brought into his family. Not according to what we have done. Which is to say then, that it's not by ethnicity. You don't have to be Jewish, and you can be a Gentile. Either way, you can come into the family of God by God's calling. So before Jacob or Esau were born, before either of them had done anything good or bad, God's plan was to move his objective forward through Jacob. Okay? This morning, church family and friends, we need to understand that this applies in the same way as the Holy Spirit comes to you and I and calls us to do the good works that God has ordained for us to do. That it is according to God's plan, not according to what you and I have done, good or bad. Because God has a plan and he is moving it forward according to his purpose today. Do you see that? What we do, our past, good or bad, is irrelevant. He's going to do what he's going to do according to his plan. He's going to use who he's going to use according to his plan. Which is to say that his plan supersedes our past. This whole thing is about God. It's by him. It's for him. It's to him. So, This means then, as we come back to this debate that we have, as we get bogged down, you and I, trying to decide whether or not our past disqualifies us from following God, we are arguing a moot, irrelevant point today. It is a non-issue in this debate. The only ones that are making this a factor, an issue, is you and me today as the Holy Spirit comes to us and calls us to do something, as he comes to us and calls us to serve God in some way, shape, or form, which is to say, speak to that person at work, share with a neighbor or friend, help somebody out, serve in kids' ministry, be a small group facilitator, whatever that is, whatever that is, as we hear the Holy Spirit calling us and we automatically deflect or distract ourselves into this debate about whether or not I can actually do that, whether or not I can accomplish that, we are arguing a moot point. We're having a debate about something that doesn't even factor into the equation today. And we've got to get past that because that's preventing us from following the Holy Spirit as we allow that to take place in our lives and as we decide that I'm not capable because of the past mistakes that I've made, God can never use me. 
or because I don't have the training, which is to say that I haven't been able to do any public speaking for me. I could never do that. You know, I've, I've, never, I've never done, I don't have any history with that. I don't, I don't have any Bible school training. I could never do that. I'm not qualified to do this. Therefore, that it must be just a mistake. That's just, that's just us making artificial and arbitrary barriers that keep us from following the Holy Spirit. Therefore, this morning, we need to take the long view and recognize that it is about God's plan, not about our past. He calls us according to the plan that he has set out, not according to anything that we have done, good or bad. And where does that leave us this morning? It means we need to push forward just a little bit more. Can't just stop here. From this then, we need to understand that if it is his plan to use us today, then he has the capacity to make that work. He has the capacity to make that work. We see that exactly in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. It says there, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God didn't just come up with this plan lately. He came up with this plan from the beginning. He also has chosen to use you and I as a part of his plan. And as he's chosen to use you and I as a part of it, we need to understand. We have to have this foundation in mind. We have to stand on it with confidence that he has the ability then to equip you and I to accomplish his plan. If he's chosen to use us, he has the ability to equip us, to enable us, to Bound abundantly in all of the good works that he has called us to do. He is not sending us into a gunfight with a knife today. He is on side and will equip us to accomplish whatever it is that he has called for us to do. This morning, in a, in a real nutshell, if God calls us, let me, let me even change that. When God calls us, because he is calling us today, he is calling you and I today to the good works that he's already established for us, each one of us. When he calls us, we are qualified. We have been certified, and we are authorized to move forward into those good works. I'll even say it slightly differently again. His call. God's call for you and I today qualifies us, certifies us, and authorizes us to move forward with confidence into whatever he has asked of us because our call has come from God himself and he's the one that's going to accomplish it. He's the one that has the plan. So we needn't argue. We needn't 
doubt. Which is to say, when the Holy Spirit calls us to the good works that He has ordained for us to do, here is how we then should respond. Number one, don't look backwards. Don't look backwards. Don't get sucked back into that debate about whether or not I'm good enough, whether or not I'm qualified enough. Don't don't try and assess your ability or your suitability this morning. That's the short view, and it's the wrong view. When God calls us, look at Him. Look at Him. Because that's where it rests. With Him and His plan and His ability. Number two. When God calls us, when the Holy Spirit stirs in our heart, when He comes alongside and nudges us, then thank God. Don't look back and then thank God. Thank God that the sovereign God of this universe, the creator of everything, the one with the plan, has chosen to use you today. Do you recognize the privilege that that is today? Let's not debate it. Let's not argue it. Let's step up to it, recognizing that God himself, God Almighty, is choosing to use you and I today, the privilege that is ours to be used by God is crazy. But, but we deter into an argument or a debate about it. Don't. As you feel his prompting in your life, thank him. Thank you, Lord, that you would choose to use me privilege. It's an honor. Let's not miss it. Let's not miss it this morning. Thirdly, as we feel the Holy Spirit come alongside us and make his ask, launch out. Step out. Step out, out of the boat, step off the edge, whatever, however you might see it. Just step out and trust Him and move forward. Why? Because we don't have to look at ourselves. We don't have to try and find the confidence within ourselves. We can find it in Him. Our confidence to move forward, to step out, to launch out is all based on Him. Therefore, it's not unfounded. shouldn't even be scary for us at that point because this is all about God, not about me. So I have the assurance that as I step out, as I launch out with Him into this, that He is going to meet me there. 
And he's going to equip me. He's going to prepare me. He's going to enable me to abound in those good works so that I can accomplish the job that he's asked me to do, the job that he's asked you to do today. This morning, as we close, I want to pray for you the the prayer of the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. So if you bow your heads, can I pray this for you today? Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you, First Baptist Church family and friends, with every good, everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks again for coming. Next week, Bruce is going to come and talk about potential uninhibited. So don't miss that. I look forward to seeing you then.